0: You're listening to the Whitewater Church podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org/give. Let's dive into this week's message together. When we face hardship, sometimes it's real easy to get disheartened and maybe even bitter. The question I want to ask today is: How do we grow brighter, not bitter? When we're facing hardship, when we're facing pain, when we're facing maybe changed plans and expectations, how can we grow brighter and not bitter? You know, I was in a a hotel lobby in Sierra Leone, and this German man came into the room angry. He came in hot. He was so upset. I guess his card hadn't been working, and it, it wasn't working for payment. And he just started yelling. Have you ever been in a situation like that where a grown man starts yelling in public, it was like everybody lurked over, and he said something like this. He was like, I was happy, but now I'm not happy. I'm angry because you will not solve my problem. He kept saying this over and over, and he said, I, I, I will go outside now, or I will get crazy, <laughs> and he went outside. And I'm glad he had enough self-control to, to head out before he, he we went crazy. It's so important, before we lose our composure, before we get angry, disheartened, bitter, that we, we learn how to uh, control our emotions and really try to get brighter in those moments of adversity. And the purpose of this sermon series is for our church to learn to become brighter together, not bitter in hard times and challenges. Our goal is to grow deeper roots with God together. And what I want you to do, if you're able, is to gather your circle of friends, your circle of spiritual family around scripture We have a devotional for you on the book of Philippians, and we want to encourage you to study that in community. The other thing is to, when you study, have a time of dialogue and discovery where you really listen to each other. And we have some key questions that you can go through each time when you study the scriptures in community. And then at the end of each time you circle up, pray for each other, pray for each other. And we're also going to give a weekly memory verse for anybody who's interested in kind of getting God's word in their bones, in your heart. You know, I've heard it said, to read the Bible properly is to find an altar where one meets the living God. Here's a few tips on how to approach scriptures before we jump into the actual book of Philippians. When we read the scriptures, I want to encourage you to read the scriptures regularly. You know, get that a part of your life. It's kinda of like a, a good diet of food spiritually for you to keep you healthy. I wanna encourage you to read it humbly, not pridefully as if you know it all or you know your spiritual tradition knows it all, your Christian tradition knows it all, but to read it humbly. I wanna encourage you to read it communally, in community, to hear other perspectives and be open to other perspectives. I want you to read it charitably or graciously. Give people the benefit of the doubt be gracious toward others who think differently or who you might even disagree with. I want to encourage you to also read it holistically. Reading the Bible holistically is not only in context, but also within the genre of its literary background or its historical background and within the narrative of Scripture. Read the Bible holistically. And finally, read the Bible for change. You know, if you read the Bible and uh, you're reading it for information, you're reading it to collect knowledge or just to hear from other perspectives, but it never changes you, it never transforms you. It's like, what's the point of that? Read the Bible so that God can change your heart and your life. Let's jump in to Philippians chapter one, how Paul teaches us to become brighter, not bitter. Paul writes, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus, along with your supervisors and servants, may the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, Philippi is in northern Greece, you know, and at that time, it was the first place in Europe that had heard the good news about King Jesus. Based on Paul's language, we we think that this might have been one of his favorite churches. He just loves these guys. They've been such dear friends and partners in the gospel. Then Paul goes on with a prayer of thanksgiving. Check this out. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray. And it's always a prayer full of joy. You know, the context of this is Paul's writing from prison. He's in chains because of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's probably in a cell, maybe with a, you know, a cellmate, maybe an upset German traveler who went crazy because someone couldn't solve his problem. <laughs> Paul's in chains for the gospel, and yet he celebrates his thankfulness for his partners and his friends and what God is doing. Paul's in a season of separation from friends and family and a season of frustration of not being able to do life the way he normally did it. He's in a season of communicating by the newest technology of the day called papyrus. And instead of being present with his dear friends, he had to write to them and communicate to them at a distance. But he was still able to rejoice. Let me ask you, have you been experiencing a season like this, not able to do what you planned or hoped or expected, be with who you wanted to be with? Um, Have you experienced times of constraint? Your life, maybe your ministry? Have you experienced limitations in this time? Have you had to communicate by distance rather than in person? How are you handling that? Are you able to rejoice and be thankful for what God is doing despite what you can't do right now? Despite his circumstances, Paul was becoming brighter, not bitter. Is there something we all can learn from Paul about how to have joy? through all these circumstances and all these limitations. So what's the source of Paul's joy and hope? Why is Paul thankful and joyful when he thinks and prays about his Philippian friends? We can see a bit of an answer here in verse five. I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed it until now. I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. Paul starts talking about partnership, gospel partnership. So what is this? From what we can read and see in the context of Philippians and some of Paul's other letters, gospel partnership is deep mutual friendship in and for the good news of King Jesus. And gospel partnership is ministry, All of us, according to Paul, have ministry, no matter how educated or uneducated you are, no matter what your background is or isn't. All of us are called to ministry. We have a unique calling to bless the world through our life. That's what ministry is. And here's the other thing. We're all called to ministry collectively as a church. We are mutual partners serving each other's ministries. And Partnership, gospel partnership, is about collaboration, not competition. You know, Paul is saying to his friends, we're in, the, in this gospel grace business together. We're not alone. And we have work. We have responsibility to use our time, our talent, and our treasure together. This was real partnership to him. And he's so grateful for their partnership. I love that he also says what God begins in partnership, God always finishes in partnership. The good work that God started in each individual life that that God had touched through Paul's ministry, God was going to finish that. That's so important to remember, especially when we're going through hard times. When you are weary, you're hitting roadblocks, you might be disappointed, you might even face betrayals and you want to give up, don't give up. Hang in there. Because the one who started a good work in you and through you will finish that work in and through you as well. Now, we live in a world that needs more partnership, less partisanship. What I mean by that is the world doesn't need more sociopolitical divisions. It needs more partnership visions. It doesn't need more lines and divisions around, you know, tribalism in this world. It needs, well, it needs God's love. Christians, we can help model Jesus' ministry and Paul's ministry of the gospel through working together in partnership, less partisanship. Now let's look at how Paul feels about their partnership together. Verse 7 I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. Who are Paul's partners in the gospel? His supporters and friends from Philippi. Paul names the people who have sent and supported and stuck with him through thick and thin, the good and the bad. And the context of this letter, just to remind you, is he's writing a letter from prison and he's thanking people for sticking with him and supporting him. He's thanking them for generosity. Did you know that prisoners back in this time weren't fed by the prison? They would die if they didn't have a friend or friends bring food and provision. The Philippian church was a church that immediately came to his aid and supported him at his lowest moments. And they understood that he was in prison going through this challenge because of his love and work in the gospel. Let me ask you this. Who are your partners in the gospel? It's not a question of whether you have partners or you don't. It's a question of who are your partners in the gospel? Because all of us have a ministry. All of us have gifts that God wants us to use together with others. So if you're asking who's your partner in the gospel, maybe another question is how can you identify someone who's a partner in the gospel? Well, I think we can learn from Paul on this. It's those who God has linked you with. Those who share the same heart maybe have different giftings and maybe different callings, but there's a shared heart around the gospel and around Jesus and around the impact of, of God's work in the world. You can kind of identify those gospel partners by those who support you through thick and thin, those who pray for you, those who are diligent in checking in on you, those who maybe you feel compassion and affection for and they feel compassion and affection for you. There's a mutuality of feeling and partnership in this. So who are my partners? Well, my partners are my kids, my wife, a few of my neighbors, my staff at our church, you. I'm so grateful for you. And going back to my kids, I think sometimes that can be overlooked. My son and my daughter are partners in the gospel, and it's a mutual partnership. I shouldn't, you know, just be expecting them to support my ministry as a pastor and as a father, although that's nice, and they do support me, and I love them so much, but it's mutual, so I need to support them in their ministries and pray for them and ask, how can I help them develop their gifts and skills and calling and purpose for the Lord? And that's how I feel about you. I want you to step into your giftings, to know your giftings, know your calling, so that you can serve Jesus for the good of the gospel. I am so grateful for the partners and the gospel ministry that God has given me. So grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful that, you know, she's teaching me how to be a better leader, how to be a better follower of Christ. And uh, there's a mutuality between us. I'm so thankful for my staff, for you, this church. And I even have, you know, like I've mentioned before, I've had neighbors and other friends who are, who are, I would consider gospel partners. And some of them don't even go to the same church. And that's okay, because Jesus is the one that we're serving. It's his ministry, and we can be in different churches and, you know, in different bunkers, if you will, but we're on the same team, and we want to support each other and pray for each other. And I just want you to know, I, I can agree with Paul and the way he felt about his partners at Philippi, that church. I feel about you. He said this again, God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. I love you guys so much. I'm so grateful for you. So I'll remind us of the question, who are your gospel partners? Who are those people God has placed in your life? Know who they are. And that leads us to this next question. How do I pray for and support my partners in the ministry of the gospel? I love this quote from Gordon Fee. He said this, one of the more remarkable inconsistencies in studies on Paul is that Thousands of books exist that search every aspect of Paul's thinking, while only a few books seek to come to terms with his life of prayer. Indeed, most people's understanding of Paul is limited to Paul the missionary or Paul the theologian. But what is clear from Paul's letters, now listen to this, what is clear from Paul's letters is that he was a prayer before he was a missionary or thinker. I think it's so important to study how Paul prayed, because he lived a praying life. It was his prayer that like motivated and empowered his mission in the Spirit and his thinking in the Spirit. And here we go. In verse 3, I'm going to remind us, he said, I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray. And it's always a prayer full of joy. His prayer was were were prayers of joy and thanksgiving, first and foremost. He had joy. He thanked the Lord. That's so important. You know, when I think about thanksgiving and joy, and since we were already talking a little bit about Sierra Leone, I remember being at a, a church, um, my friend's church. His name is Patrick. And uh, I remember standing in worship at, at this church, and people were just worshiping like crazy. It was amazing. People were just so into Worshipping Jesus, and there was just such amazing expression. I'll never forget this. Patrick, the pastor, was sitting next to me. We're in the front row. This man is regal, he's articulate, he's reserved, he's an intellectual man. He reaches into his pocket in the middle of one of the songs and pulls out this little plastic tube. And then he pulls on one end and it telescopes out into a shofar. A shofar is an ancient horn for Jewish worship. He pulls out the shofar and begins playing the heaven out of it. I mean, he was just playing the heaven out of that thing. It was just like, it was so loud, I couldn't believe it. And he was just going nuts on it. I'd never seen a move that much, be that loud. And I just remember smiling and thinking to myself, there's nothing better than this happening right now that was a joy. He was letting out his thanksgiving, and it was awesome. I want to encourage you to focus on what God is doing. Learn to be thankful for what God is doing. Focus on the bright spots. Focus on what God has given us, not on what we don't have. See, thanksgiving and praise change how we see our circumstances. Rather than being controlled by our circumstances, we can actually submit those to God and respond to things differently. So Instead of focusing on what's wrong, what's the problem, what the deficit is, what if we begin to focus on what we have, what is enough, and what God is doing in this moment? Joy, thanksgiving, praise actually rewire our brain because you follow what you focus on. Your life follows what you focus on. This is a worship principle. You become like the things that you worship. If you're not worshiping God start becoming like those things that you worship. Cultivating positive emotions through a worshipful positive outlook increase the hormones and neurotransmitters in your in your body that give a sense of safety and well-being. You know, that's why thanksgiving and meditation on joyful things and the things you can see that are good is it's it's biblical and it's really important for being human. Meditation is another form of prayer and it's a type of Brain training that can actually actually rewire your brain, reducing anxiety, depression, and improve the brain's ability to return to calm. Are you able to thank and praise God in all things? So Paul has more on how we should pray for our partners in the ministry of the gospel. Here we go in verse 9. So this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters and so you'll be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Jesus Christ, in order to give glory and praise to God. So he prays with thanksgiving and encouragement. You know, in verse 3, then he prays these things. He prays that their love would be rich in wisdom. Then he prays that they would be able to wisely focus on what really matters. Have you found yourself recently focusing on things that maybe don't matter, aren't the main focus of life and aren't, shouldn't be the priority? Paul prays for his partners to focus on what really matters. Then he prays for a life of overflowing goodness and right living. Then he goes on to pray that all this would flow from their life their ministry, to glorify and praise God. All of this, all of this, he acknowledges, comes from Jesus. Use this prayer in verses 9 and 10 as you pray for your gospel partners, the people God has put in your life. How does Paul teach us to become brighter and not bitter in the face of hardship and challenge? What we see in this, he has a life of prayer, a life of praise and a life of partnership. I wanna invite you this week to circle up your spiritual family, to study the scripture, get grounded in scripture, be a people of scripture, and pray for each other. Pray regularly for your partners this week. And use Paul's prayer in Philippians 1, 9 through 10 as your model. Pray for your gospel partners, that God would use them and work through their life. Friends, you are my gospel partners, and I'm so thankful for you. And I am praying that God would use your life for his glory and your neighbor's good. Thanks again for listening with us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message, or would like to contact Whitewater Church, reach out at info at whitewaterchurch.org or click contact in our show notes. And if you'd like to get involved in what Whitewater's doing to bless our communities, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week